You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christian women who are ready to write their first book, and then more, so they can guide their readers into spiritual freedom while guiding their own families into financial freedom. I'm Nika Maples, and this is episode 106, Let Principles Lead the Way. Every day, I meet Christian women who feel called by God to write a book. They just can't shake the urge. They can't sleep at night. They're distracted during the day. They're afraid they will reach the end of their lives and never actually finish their book. So when they meet me, they finally feel a surge of hope that they can do it because they know I can show them how. But... When I invite them to join the Keep Writing course, most of the women I meet say the same thing. I don't have the money right now. Oh, how this response grieves me. I believe Christians everywhere are not stepping forward in their callings because they're not using the tool of money in a way that facilitates their kingdom purpose. My friend Leo Sabo feels the same way. He's the president of the Christian Stewardship Network. He loves to see people experience their own financial awakening, and he's spent the last 17 years working with couples, individuals, and church leaders, helping them understand and manage finances, conformed to biblical principles. His life mission is helping people become financially free thereby enabling them to pursue their true life's purpose. Leo has served as a stewardship pastor at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas for 11 years, where he enjoyed building volunteer teams, teaching, coaching, and developing curriculum. In his current role as president of Christian Stewardship Network, he gets to share the incredible impact financial stewardship and generosity can have in the church. Leo and his wife, Natalie, who, by the way, was a former teaching partner of mine in public schools, have been married for 30 years. They have two daughters, two sons-in-law, and four beautiful grandchildren. Not long ago, I invited Leo to speak at one of my events and pour financial encouragement into my guests that day. Now, I want to share his wisdom and insight with you. I know it's going to bless you. Hi, everybody. Uh, Well, as Nika said, I am Leo Sabo, and I've lived in Texas now almost as long as I've been alive. Um... Well, actually, I should say, as long as I've lived in Chicago, which is 20 years. So I've lived 20 years in Chicago, 20 years in Texas. I've had three different careers, and I am 50 years old. And my only qualification from standing, standing in front of you today is that I've made some huge mistakes financially. But God is a God of redemption. He redeems the things that we think are a mess and turns them into something beautiful. When I came here today... Um, I'm not an emotional guy by, by design. I'm very analytical. I'm a fixer. Uh, I process things. I um, 
research things, and, and I'm, a, I'm a knowledge guy, which is kind of dangerous for us because we tend to not worry about the emotional side. But when I came in here today, I felt the presence of the Lord. I really did. And some of you walk around with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit every moment. For some of us, it, we have to get over the fact that he's always around and that we're not in our heads as much. But I felt the presence of the Lord. I know he's here today. And I know he has some things that he wants to say to you. And as Nika said, this topic of finances can be very intimate and very hard to talk about. In fact, we all know some of the statistics about money, one of them being how it impacts our marriage. The fact that so many marriages, usually the, the worst part about a marriage is communication over money. And I think God puts us together to bring strength out of that, not weakness. Right? It's to, to, to help us to find someone that is not like us so that we have balance when we come together. That's what I have in my wife. As I said, I'm very analytical. I like to think things through. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I'm up at 4, 4, 35 o'clock in the morning. I like to do more things between 4 and 9 o'clock than most people do all day long because I'm driven. That's just the way I am. My wife's completely opposite. She likes to lounge around all weekend. Cleaning up the house takes like 12 hours because she'll clean for 30 minutes and she'll sit around and watch a movie for an hour. And I can't do that. But she teaches me to slow down and I teach her to be strong, to be intentional, to do the things that she may not want to do, but she needs to do. And those are the things that I want to talk to you today. From a ratio perspective, men are, are weighed by quite a bit today. And, and that's a good thing, I think. I think the Lord set that up on purpose. Because sometimes women or the spouse in a marriage tends to kind of rely on the man to take the mantle when it comes to this financial thing. They say, well, you know, you're the, you're the guy... You're the provider. I'm just going to defer to you. I trust you. I'm going to defer to you. And my, my hope is by the, by the end of today that you'll have a different perspective because we all have a responsibility when it comes to how we steward the things that God's given us. Susan is a 45-year-old woman who lives in the suburbs of Chicago. She is $33,000 in debt, and this is her second time that she finds herself here. The first time was about four years ago, where she was $35,000 in debt. It was credit card debt, mostly. So she took out a 401k loan that it's costing her about $575 a month. She has enough to meet all her basic needs, but nothing more. But yet, her $33,000 in debt, which is hundreds of dollars of minimum payments per month, are being paid. She's, she's doing it, by taking on more debt. I wish I could say Susan was unique, and she was different than most, but the statistics say otherwise. Her income, unfortunately, cannot cover all her expenses and also take care of the debts. What's she supposed to do? She's fearful. She deals with shame, anxiety, stress, depression, almost on a, every day, many times throughout the day. And her story could be your story. It was my story. We all understand, I believe, most of us understand what that feels like. So before we move on today, what I want to do is just take a moment. I'm going to work a little bit out of 
out of the norm that, that we set up, but we're still going to get there, which is just let's take two minutes. I'd like you to think about that first question that Nika posed, which is what emotions do you feel when you look closely at your finances? Now, you may have to pull out your phone, log into your account, and scroll through your transactions over the last couple of weeks. Whatever it takes for you to be able to have a picture, or maybe just to recollect, where am I financially? And I want you to write down what are the emotions that you're feeling about your finances today. Just take a couple minutes to ask the Lord, search your heart, and then just jot some things down. Another thing I want to tell you about Susan is that Susan has a dream. Her dream is to have a farm where she can raise and rescue dogs. That's her dream. And so everything that she's trying to do to fix her financial situation is related to that goal, to that dream that she has. I think all of us have those kind of dreams. Maybe they're different. Maybe they're not as unique. Maybe they're something that you have been thinking about for a long time. And you're waiting and you're praying and you're asking God to bring that dream into, into reality. And the reality is that when we deal with financial stress and when we're in this position of financial bondage, it's complete opposite of what God had designed for us. It's not the existence that he meant for us. And I want you to reach your dreams. I want you to be able to accomplish the thing that God has given you. The takeaway I had from Sandy's, probably the most important takeaway for me from Sandy's speech this morning was that Martha made a way for Jesus by her gifts. She had gifts. She made a way for Jesus by exercising her gifts. Every single one of you have gifts that God wants to use. He's placed them there specifically because he wants you to use them. But there are things that prevent us from using our gifts. I find that in our culture today, finances or the lack of management of finances is the one thing that gets in the way of us really fulfilling our purpose. And that's the freedom that I believe Christ died for us so that we would not be bound by anything. You know, he, he came, he lived for us, he died for us to set us free. That includes financial messes too. You believe that? So is it possible, let me ask you this question, is it possible to achieve financial freedom? Yes, I can say without a doubt that it is possible to reach financial freedom. But let's define it properly so that we're not going on the wrong path. All right? Let me give you the definition of true financial freedom. True financial freedom is freedom from the bondage of debt. I do want you to write this one down because we're going to come back to it. So freedom from the bondage of debt, envy, greed, or selfishness. So freedom from the bondage of debt, envy, greed, or selfishness, and freedom to respond without hesitation to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in life and build the kingdom of God. So freedom to respond without hesitation to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in life and build the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it one more time. True financial freedom is freedom from the bondage of debt envy, greed, or selfishness, and freedom to respond without hesitation to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in life and build the kingdom of God. Let me know if I need to say it one more time. One more time. All right, cool. Freedom from the bondage of debt, envy, greed, or selfishness, and freedom to respond without hesitation 
to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in life and to build the kingdom of God. Romans 11.29 says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Here's what that means to you and I. God has put certain things in you that he wants you to use. In fact, the greatest thing that you can do in life is to operate in the way God designed you. That is the greatest thing that you can do. It's also, by the way, the thing that will give you the most joy and fulfillment. It's the high that we all live for. Sometimes we think it's happiness. Happiness is good, but that's not really the, the, the goal. The goal is having joy. Because happiness can be very short-lived. Joy, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow, because it's, it's something that's completely different than happiness. But I believe that the way God has created us and the gifts that he's put inside of us were intentional because he knew if you operate the way I designed you, you will receive that, both the, the dopamine rush and the chemical reaction in your body and in your mind, and you'll just want to do it over and over and over again. That's what Susan wants to do. That's what you and I want to do. But there's something in the way. David said this way when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, in Psalm 139. He said, all the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to be. I don't know if that blows your mind, but it blows my mind to think that before I was even born, every day of my life was written in God's book. Today is written in God's book. He knew that every single one of us would be in this room today. He knew that Sandy would say certain things that would hit your heart and you would make a change potentially or consider something you hadn't considered before. And everything that's going to happen today is part of God's plan. Our job is to just cooperate with him and continue to pursue him so that we are literally operating to the potential that he's given us. But here's the the rub. Today, probably more than any other time in history, because of the overwhelming amount of abundance that we have experienced, Financial bondage keeps people from fulfilling their purpose. I've had the privilege of a co-hosting a podcast over the last two years with a, a very good friend of mine, someone I used to work with, and his name is David Thompson. He's a pastor at Gateway Church, and we named the, the podcast Getting Money Right. Highly encourage you to listen to it if you, if you want to learn some more about finances. It's a good show. We start every show with this phrase, and we came up with this more than two years ago. And we said, we, we kind of introduced it this way. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. That was very intentional. We said, why are we doing this? Why do we want to educate people on personal finances? Not because God said so, not because it's the right thing to do, but because people have purposes that are not being fulfilled. And what's getting in the way of that, at least in our culture today, is money, financial bondage. So we said, well, let's, let's do something about that. Let's create a podcast where we're consistently talking about this topic and helping people to have a mindset of, hey, it's okay to talk about money, even if you're a mess, it's okay. You start somewhere. And then once you learn some of the basics and you start using them and you start putting them into place, both the the power of the, of the Word of God will come in. The principles that you apply that are in the Word of God will start taking effect, and you'll start seeing change. You'll start seeing 
the, the, the debt being melted away. You'll do the right things. And the reason we do it is to inspire, educate and inspire. Every week we have an opportunity to talk to, hopefully, hundreds if not thousands of people that will be inspired to maybe change something or maybe do something different. And if nothing else, to give them one more nugget of truth and one more nugget of, of knowledge that would say, hmm, I didn't think about that when I made that decision. Next time I'll do better. It's to maximize the potential that we have and really to free you up so that money is no longer a focus of life. It's just a tool that you use. I used to be an aircraft mechanic, so I've got a ton of tools. I'm also a gearhead, so my garage is filled with tools. But I don't take any of them and worship them. I don't put them on my mantle and, and shine a light on them and bow down to them or have emotions toward them. I don't do any of that. When I need a wrench, I'll grab it, I'll use it, I'll wipe it down and throw it back in the, in the, in the drawer. That's what money is. It's a useful tool. If you've ever worked on anything with the wrong tool, you know what I'm talking about. It's frustrating to try to do something when the wrong tool is in your hand. So money is a very important tool that God has given us. It gives us the ability to fulfill this purpose that God has built inside of us. In fact, I would say that money will either accelerate your ability to, to fulfill your purpose, so it's exponentially going to grow your ministry and your purpose and what God's called you to do, or it'll actually bring it down. It'll make it in, unfruitful. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The best example that I want to share with you is something that the Lord taught me years ago about why this whole money thing is so important. And Jesus actually said, you know, shared a parable with the disciples, which means he shares it with us. So I want to go through that. It's Luke 16. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to go to Luke 16. We're going to read through it, and I'm just going to try to do about a five to seven minute, hopefully I can do that, to, to go through it, because I think it's important that we draw the truth that's inside of these um, and, uh, out of this parable, and also the application. Because the Bible is not just information, it's applicable to today, to our life. So Luke 16.1, this is uh, just a quick introduction. Uh, Jesus told this parable of the unjust manager or dishonest manager uh, to, teach that his, to teach his disciples that his disciples must use their wealth for kingdom purposes. The application of this parable starts in verse 8, actually the latter part of verse 8, and goes to 13. The actual story, the parable, is verses 1 through 8. So let's start at verse 1. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So the rich man... I'm going to kind of break this up, so let's, let's focus on what this means right here. The rich man had heard that the manager was not handling wealth, his wealth, properly. And uh, in Jesus' day, this was a lot more common than it is today, lords and people that were in wealthy, they would hire someone to manage their affairs. And a lot of times it was manage their finances. And, and the purpose of hiring this person was to grow their estate, Right? If they had land, if they had cattle, if they had whatever they had, was you, they would hire, just like we hire employees today, in order to grow the wealth of this, this master's um, estate. The manager controlled the finances of the estate for the purposes of making money for the estate. 
The money did not belong to the manager. This is important, but was his to use for the estate. And apparently, the manager was wasting those goods. All right, let's go to verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, right? So Jig is up. He's having a conversation with himself. What shall I do? For my master has taken the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I resolve what to do. That when I am put out of this stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to the other, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Hmm. What's interesting is that at the beginning of this story, the master says about the steward that he's being irresponsible, that he is not managing well the affairs that he was in charge of. Now, we're going to see that he actually calls him unjust. He says, so the master commended, listen to this, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, for years, especially as a young person, I was like, this makes no sense to me. Jesus is telling a story about a guy who, first of all, is a slug. He's not doing his job right. He's probably stealing from the master. You, you know, who knows what he's doing? But obviously, it's bad enough that the master doesn't say, give an account because I might fire you. No, he says, give an account because you're fired. He basically said you're fired. You just have to now kind of, we're going to have the, the talk, but consider yourself fired. And then after he makes all these deals, the master says, hmm, well done, well played. And I thought, why would Jesus share this story? That's just, I mean, is he telling us it's okay to just do whatever as long as the end goal is met? It doesn't matter how we get there? Well, I think we know that that's not true. There's a, there's a hidden meaning here, meaning here. The dishonest manager had not done a good thing but he had been careful to plan ahead using material things to ensure a secure future. Let me say that again. The dishonest manager had not done a good thing, but he had been careful to plan ahead using material things to ensure a secure future. Jesus was not teaching his disciples to be dishonest. He was teaching uh, them that they should use material things for future spiritual benefits. This is the important part that we need to understand. Jesus used basically a story, a good lesson, right, with a bad example. He can do that. I think it's a great story because it draws us in. It's like, oh, this doesn't make sense. It made me, years ago, really study this, try to figure out what is he trying to draw out of this. So then Jesus goes on and says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Okay? He's now specifically talking to the disciples. Jesus said, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of, of light. So Jesus is separating the disciples from this unjust steward, manager, and says, this manager is, is of the world. He has a worldly mindset. He is not a disciple. He is of the world. He's doing unjust things. You are of the light, but yet you are not as shrewd as he is. He saw the future and prepared. You know the future and are not preparing. 
This is the key thing that I want us to understand. This scripture is talking about what we do here will have an implication there, right? We've all heard this. Our life is but a breath. I can't tell you how 50 years have gone by. Like that. I've got a daughter that's in this room that's 27 years old now. 20, yeah, 27, almost. I have two grandkids. I still feel like I'm 28 years old. I don't know how this happened. Can anyone else relate? But what I do here, I'll have to answer there. And I don't want you to consider that as a, uh-oh, I better do the right thing so I don't get spanked when I get to heaven. That's not what this is about. Please don't think about God that way. He's a loving father. He's not waiting with a rod to spank you when you get there because you didn't do everything perfect. He has given us opportunities to live in the way he's created us. And he's saying, help, let me help you remove every hindrance, everything that the world puts in your path so that you can fully realize what I've created you to do. Verse 9 says, And I say to you, this is Jesus talking, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, that's an important word we'll come back to here, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, you have not, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This word unrighteous mammon that Jesus uses, the best way that I can explain it to you without getting too technical and theological with you is this. It's money, it's resources. Unrighteous mammon is a thing of the world that you could use any way you want. But it's not a spiritual thing. Money is not spiritual. Money is just money. Now, we ascribe value and power to money. But money in itself is a piece of paper. That's all it is. But who's driving the decisions behind that spending and what that value that we place on money and what we do with it does matter. It does have the ability to accomplish things. So what Jesus is saying to the disciples and he's saying to us, use unrighteous mammon. Take the example from the shrewd, unjust steward. He saw the future. He knew what was coming and he said, uh-oh, I don't want to beg. I'm too proud to, di to dig ditches. So guess what? I'm going to set myself up. So when I'm fired, which I know I am, all those people that I did favors for, they're going to be like, come on in, friend. You helped us out, we'll help you out. The word fail in this, verse, in, this, in this chapter means when you die, when you no longer are able to be a steward. See, our stewardship will end. Every single one of us will close our eyes here and open our eyes on the other side. And there will, there will be nothing else that you can do to change what you've done here. That's it. Test is over, pencils down. You like that? Teacher reference. <laughs> So it's imperative that we understand we have this shot. We have this opportunity. And it's for our good. It's for my good to be here. If I could do anything else, I wouldn't. I would do this. If I could do anything else, I would do this. This would be my choice. 
I want to see people free. Because when they are free, and they know what they're gifted to do, when they're not looking down at their bank accounts and they're not wringing their necks of, of, let me work another eight hours of overtime this week so that I can just squeeze by, they look up and they're like, hey, there's a world out there. And I know something and I can help some people. And now, now you're useful to God's kingdom. Now you go back to the definition of financial freedom and it says, not only are you you know, away from the debt and the envy and the selfishness and all those things, but you're free to pursue your purpose and to build God's kingdom. I mean, come on. Is there anything better in this life that you and I can do? I've not found it, and I search for it. You see, that last verse that says, you cannot serve God and mammon, I can tell you I tried it. I tried it for years. I was going to church. I was tithing. I was doing everything that I was supposed to do as a Christian everything that I knew how to do. I was being as religious as I could be because that's how I was raised and that's what I was supposed to do. So I was obedient. I'm consistent, right? So I'm going to do this. But who owned it? When I looked at my money, emphasis my money, I said, okay, God, we'll make a deal. I'll give you a 10%. I'll even give you an extra 10. But the other 80, hands off, buddy. It's mine. That was my attitude. That's what I was doing. Out of ignorance, out of rebellion, out of selfishness, all of that. That's inside of each one of us. I'm sorry, but we all have this sinful nature that we have to continue to, to put to death every single day. This is why I get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and get on the treadmill or on the bike or in, hit the weights because I need to subject my body and remind my body first and foremost because it's the loudest in the room. It's screaming, hey, give me some more ice cream. Hey, give me some more sleep. Hey, watch more Netflix. Whatever it is, my body wants it. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm tired of letting you be in charge. I'm in charge. I have a purpose. God wrote in his book that today I was going to do something different than a selfish thing. That's what I'm going to do today. See how important it is? But if money is, is anxiety and stress and if it's chaotic, kind of like what Sandy was talking about, a room that's not been picked up, how can you make good decisions when you don't know where your finances are? How can you make progress? How can you help? When helping means that you have to give up the thing that you need, or worse off, you have to borrow and sacrifice your future, and maybe even your children's future. That's not part of God's plan. Nothing in Scripture leads us to live that way. In fact, the recipe is for success, not for failure. God has put his principles in place so that we're not wondering, hmm, how do I do this? Now I know, unfortunately, our education system, no offense to the teachers in the room, I'm married to one, it's not geared to teach us about personal finances. It's just not. I'd like to think that's intentional, but I'm not going to be political about this. I just think personal finances is confusing because nobody is actually teaching it. Well, I'm teaching it, so I can't say nobody. But it's not a, it's not a system-wide, worldwide thing. Do you think, you suppose, maybe the enemy has something to do with that? There are three applications I want you to get from this scripture. Jesus plainly taught that the people of light should use worldly wealth. That's number one. Your stewardship will end. You have to seize every opportunity you have to use resources to build God's kingdom. 
Second principle is if one is faithful in his use of money, then he can be trusted with greater things. It's a test. Money is a test. I have some bad news for you. It's never going to end. But you know what? I have found something very secret and very wonderful about this process. Is that the more I trust God in circumstances that I cannot control, but I have done everything I can to the best of my ability to do what God has called me to do, to save, to spend wisely, to do all those things that he's taught me to do, that when economic collapse comes, when whatever somebody else does on a level that I have no control over affects my personal finances, I don't freak out about it. I've created some margin, so it gives me a little bit of room to say, okay, I can see the tidal wave coming, maybe I can get out of the way, or I've got enough savings to last me for a while so I can weather the storm. Sure, it's going to bring it down to almost nothing, but hey, I'm not taking any of it with me anyway. So if it's just meant to get me through the next three months, four months, five months, fine. So you see, as we do the right things, we put in place the ability then for us to experience the one thing that the Holy Spirit wants for every single one of you. Peace. Christians, Christians should be the most peaceful people, happy people in the world. I do not understand when a person on Facebook becomes angry at people. Like, where's your peace, my friend? You have the light of the world inside of you. What makes you get angry at another person when you're whole purpose in life is to serve people. That's, that's why we're here. It's what makes us happy, right? It's what makes us happy. Bottom line, whatever it is you create and do, if you do it for yourself, you're going to be a miserable person. And you're going to decay into a greedy, selfish, you know, it's, the, it's a whole, it's a wonderful life scene, right? You could either be George Bailey or you could be, sorry? That's it, Potiphar, thank you. I couldn't think of it, but I saw his face. But everybody knows what I'm talking about. Let's not be those kind of people. Number three, the third application is that a person cannot serve both God and money. As masters, the two are mutually exclusive. Love for money will drive one away from God. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? But the love of God will cause one to make money a master. Right? meaning not their master. They're going to master money to use it for those purposes. So it's important that we understand you, we have to use money. We need to be trustworthy with it. And then we need to let it become, we need to not let it become our master. We need to control it and master it. So uh, that's our common purpose. Our common purpose is to use money, to love on people and introduce them to Jesus and help them come along so that they are purposeful in their own life and accomplishing the things that God has set them to do. And then we need to use wealth for the purpose of building God's kingdom, right? We need to get people into the kingdom while we're doing our regular purpose. See, I think we all have a unique purpose, but we all have a common purpose. The unique purpose is I'm a financial educator. That's what I do. I teach people how to get out of debt. I teach people how to rely on God's principles. I educate and I inspire people to live a life that's not focused on money, but they use money. But my bigger purpose is to introduce people to God, to help them see that this life is going to end and that if they don't live for the other, this life will end and they will have done it for nothing. And they need to accept the love of God and the gift of God. 
Okay, but how do you do it? Right? I mean, yes, we talked about the, the theology and maybe the, the, the reason for it, but you may be asking, okay, Leo, great. I've heard this before. In fact, I kind of knew everything you just talked about. How do I do it? Because it's so complicated. It's so, I don't even know where to begin. How many of you feel that way? A couple? Well, that's good. That's actually not the reaction that I was expecting, but I'm actually happy to see that because it's not hard. In fact, I did a quick search last night on Google, the no, you know, the, the, the knowledge of complete knowledge, Google, and, and, I, and I put in this phrase, how to build a personal budget. And in 0.74 seconds, I received 200, 216 million responses, right? Opportunities to learn about how to do a personal budget. So it's not a lack of knowledge that we're dealing with here. It's not knowledge. Now, I did not have the basics of how to manage money. But once I learned them, it's pretty easy from that point on. And we have enough technology today to do about 90% of it for us anyway. So even if you're not good at math, budgeting is not an issue. So it's not a knowledge problem. And maybe there is some education that you need to put in, but it's not beyond your ability to do. What we lack is conviction. My, the person that coached me or, or mentored me in finances used to say it this way. If I can talk you into purchasing, if I can talk you out of purchasing a car because it doesn't fit within your financial budget, there's a salesman out there that has a shiny car that smells nice, looks nice, that has a lot more potential to talk you right back into it. Unless I can teach you God's principles and you have a conviction that this is not what God wants you to do. Not that I'm against cars or not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we make a decision, it should be based on principles, not emotion. Principles are like the, the you know, it's like gravity. It's going to always do what it's called to do, what it's designed to do. So it's important for all of us to understand that these principles will always operate. And that's what we kind of put our weight behind to say, I know that if I consistently live within my means, if I spend wisely, if I track my expenses, that God is going to, because God can do the supernatural, whereas we can only do the natural. So he's going to do the supernatural. If I run short, guess what? Matthew 6 tells me, don't worry about it. I've got it. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, clearly says we're not to worry. We're just to trust God. But if you do want some information on how to do that, you can have it. It's free for you. You can either do the $216 million a $260 million hits on, sorry, million hits on Google, or you can just go to leosabo.com, listen to our podcast. There's forms on there. There's step-by-step process on how to build a budget. And if you need help, that's what we're here for. Don't let the lack of, of know-how stop you from doing it. So how do we achieve financial freedom? Well, I'm going to share four truths that you must embrace in order to achieve that financial freedom. And I'm going to fly through these. Number one, you have a role to play. You have a role to play. You and I are stewards of everything that God has invested in us. Time, talent, and treasure. He's provided it, but we have a role. We can't abdicate our responsibility to someone else. You may not be the numbers person in the family. It doesn't mean you can't be involved. In fact, I will tell you that I I was the numbers person in our family, and for the first nine years of managing our money, I dictated on how things were going to be done. 
didn't ask my wife what she thought. And when she gave me her opinion, I'm like, eh, you don't know any better. Trust me, I'm the money guy. I got this. Nine years later, I'm a slow learner. Nine years later, I finally had this revelation. You know, if I invited her in the process, she might actually cooperate better. She might actually want to do this with me. And that's what I did. I tore up the budget on a Saturday morning and I said, I'd like to create another budget with you. And you tell me, what do you want to accomplish through our budget? Not my budget that I control you with, but our budget. So we do have a part. And if you're married, understand that it's something you need to do together. Number two, you have all you need to succeed right now. You have all you need to succeed right now. This is the toughest thing for me to try to communicate to people because when people are in financial stress and there's a lack, they tend to think, gosh, if I had more money, this would fix it. In fact, I use this example sometimes. My first counselee was a couple that made over $50,000 a year. And when I asked them, what's the problem? Like, what do you think the financial problem is? I was like, well, isn't it obvious? We don't make enough money. There's more going on than coming in. I said, okay, well, there may be some truth to that, but I, okay. Later in the afternoon, I have another appointment with a single woman. She makes $25,000 a year. And she, same thing, I ask her the same question. What do you think the problem is? She says, if I made a little bit more money, I'd be okay. Now, if I were to take $25,000 from the couple that was making fifty and gave it to the one that was making twenty-five. Do you think it would solve her problems? Temporarily, it would, at least on the surface. But within two years, the data says she would be right back into the same position, spending more than she's making and being just as stressed out and probably have more debt, because the higher income usually allows us, gives us that freedom to spend more and to borrow more, because we think we can handle it. So unless something changes, Money is not the issue. You have to go deeper. You have to go to the root issue of what's causing us to handle money the way we do. But we have to go back to what God said, which is that I'm always going to give you what you need. I will never leave you, never forsake you. But here's the thing. You have to come to this with the perspective of, God, I'm not going to set conditions. You're God, I'm not. I'm your child. I'm going to trust you. And if you do that, then God is going to come He's going he's gonna to give you what you need, and he's going to give you the wisdom to walk it out. But you do have everything you need right now at your disposal. Number three, you have to be faithful. There's only one requirement for us as stewards, and we find that in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. It says, it is required that a steward be found faithful. That's it. Faithfulness. That is our number one goal to be faithful with what God's given us. God gives us the, the pattern or the, the, the principles to live by. Our responsibility is to be faithful. And then number four, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. Money is a, as I said earlier, money is a test. I have, over my 27 years of budgeting, when I finally made a you know, 180 and I said, okay, I'm going to start managing money God's way, um, I've had four different times that my wife and I have gone from one level of income to half or less than half. Four different times. Now, let me put that into perspective. Let's say your household income right now is 5000 a month. Try to make what you're doing today, try to make that happen with $2,500. Would you think that's a challenge? Yes, it is. The first time it happened, it completely like messed everything up. We were messed up. The next three times it happened, peace. 
didn't affect us at all. You know why? Because we learned that if you live by God's principles, then you do things the way God tells you to do them. You listen to him, you let him dictate on what you spend, how much you spend. So when my wife got her teaching degree, started working, we didn't say, great, we have an extra $40,000. Let's buy a bigger house. Let's buy some new cars. No, we said, you know what? We're fine. We're fine. So we build margin. And then because we had more than, we, you know, we, it's all on paper, so it's very easy to make this decision. You look at it and say, well, I've got everything I need. Yes, I could spend more, but, you know, if I'm talking to the Lord, he's going to tell me if I should or not. And then when I look at the, you know, draw the line after I'm done with all my expenses and all that we need, and there's still 40%, 50% left over, now you have a conversation with the owner. Say, um, I've got an extra 50%. How would you like me to invest this? You see, it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset. So now what God can do is he can take that 50% and he can build his kingdom through you. My wife and I, when we got to that place, we said, okay, well, we've got $3,000 extra every month. What do we do with it? And God said, well, just put it away. And we had been kind of used to, we, God was teaching us about giving. So we, we kept giving a little bit more every time there was a capital campaign or something. And so we thought, okay, wow, he's going to ask us to give a big gift. So we started putting this 3000 a month into this bank account. We actually called it a giving account. And a year and a half, two years go by, and it's like it's getting to the point where it's like, hey, this is kind of big, uncomfortable big. And I said, God, you know, so there was multiple opportunities to, to write a check to some ministry or something that we thought, surely God is calling us to do this. And God said, no. He kept saying no. I said, okay. I said, but God, you don't understand. We're givers. That's what we do. That's what we do. We write big checks. That's why you give us this extra income. That's why you taught us all these things, so that we could be extravagant givers. And God said, trust me, I'm the owner, you're the steward. I said, okay. So two years go by, God begins to show me and teach me through some friendships about real estate. Wasn't looking for the information, he just brought it about through friendships. And two years later, he says, okay, I want you to take that money and I want you to invest it in a, in a property. And I want you to be a landlord. And I thought, oh, really? You want, no. okay. So I found a property, I bought it. And then every dime out of that for the next seven years, we gave away. It was way more than what we put into the property. And the property is still God's property. It still belongs to him. In fact, I'll tell you one quick story before I end. It was this. I learned about ownership this way. I was sitting with a volunteer, and that volunteer said to me, uh, we were talking about ownership. And I said, you know, if people really grasped on this idea of ownership, then every worry they have about oh, I got to do this and I got to do this, they, it would go away. I said, imagine if you have your own business. If you have your own business, it's like it's always yours. You're always managing it. When your employees leave at the end of the day, you don't divorce yourself from the business. You go home and you still might be working on it, thinking about it. It keeps you up at night. You're worried about things. The employee just they badge in and out or clock in and out, and they go to sleep and watch TV, and they're fine. They don't even think about it. If you're an employee, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're an owner, it's totally different. And I said, if people could understand that they don't own anything, that it belongs to God, and all, they have, all they're asked to do is to be an employee, then it would change everything. And at that moment, I get a text. And the text says, the person's name, who was one of our tenants, her, her check bounced. Uh, anxiety started to build up. And so my mind starts going down this path. She's, she knew, she paid me anyway, knowing it was going to bounce. Maybe she's already damaged the property and left. Maybe she's mad at me. I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to sue her. I mean, I just started going in this nasty place. 
And the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, just like that, hey. And this, this person that's sitting across from me is talking to me. Like I completely didn't hear a word he was saying. Because I'm in my own world here. He says, hey, if I want to lose money on my property, what's that to you? Just like that. It put me in my place. Well, that's right. I'm just a steward. All I'm supposed to do is faithfully manage and never quit. So make sure you understand this is bigger than money. This is about your purpose. It's about what God's called you to do. But if you don't manage it well, it will either stunt you completely from doing it or will diminish your, your impact. And I would hate to see that. Going back to, uh, to Susan, Susan today is, only has about $4,000 worth of debt. So she's paid over $29,000 of debt over the last 12 months. She has over $11,000 in a savings account. She had zero when she started. And she's saving toward her dream farm. In, t- in less than 16 months, she's gone from being completely frustrated and anxious about her situation to feeling completely free. God can do things that we cannot do, but it requires our involvement, our cooperation, and our belief that he can do it. All right? Thank you. Doesn't Leo administer wisdom with gentleness? His guidance is always kind. And remember that you can hear more from Leo through his podcast, Getting Money Right. If your finances are a point of frustration for you, I pray that your hope has been renewed today. There is nowhere that the Lord cannot bring new life and growth. Your finances are not over. There is still time and there is still opportunity to get money right. May you walk in kingdom provision more and more daily so that you can be quick to carry out your divine assignment with great joy. Attention, attention! The price of the Keep Writing course is going up on May 1st. Listen, God is using Christian books right now to advance the kingdom and transform people in Jesus' name. If you don't know how to write your book, put yourself under the mentoring of an experienced Christian author who will pray for you and guide you with spirit-led wisdom. That's me. Join the Keep Writing course, my all-in-one online experience. I'll take you from page one to page done. Inside, I will walk you through five clear stages, pre-writing, writing, revising, publishing, and earning. You will have everything you need to become a published Christian author who is making extra income for your family. Again, the price is going up on May 1st, so take this opportunity to get inside now. Go to nikamaples.com forward slash courses and get started today.